What a morning it's been already. It feels like we've done a lot together. Worship was, worship was what every week it is. I, I don't know if you, you guys could think, if you didn't know any better, you could think that the speakers coordinate with the worship leaders. And we do not. We do not talk ahead of time about what songs are you going to sing. And maybe you should say a thing in the middle of the worship set. And it will match up with what I'm planning to say. We don't, we don't coordinate. The Holy Spirit makes connections in people's hearts and minds so that the service flows. You know, almost as though, you know, he's real and he's speaking to all of us individually as a congregation. We're all needed. So that heart of worship song, it is an old song and I did cry. Uh, because it, it sets the tone for what I'm going to talk about today. It really does. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single breath. I'm just longing to bring you something that's of worth. Those words are very good today. Very, very good. So today we're continuing in a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Practice Hospitality. And the title of that series comes from... The verse in Romans that it says exactly that. It's in the middle of a list of things you ought to do in community life. And it says that we should practice hospitality. And we talked in the beginning about how hospitality, the welcoming of others, making space for others in our life, how those things, hospitality is vital to the mission of the church. Like, I don't know how we're going to accomplish this without that practice. Um, and then last week, Bob, one of our co-pastors, talked about how uh, the way that we practice hospitality, we can communicate to people that they have a place to belong. And he talked about the power of being known and loved for who you are. So last week, it was such a good message. I mean, really good. If you, if you didn't get a chance to hear it, I, go online and listen on vineyardrala.org. All the messages are up there. Go and listen to Bob's message. It was so good. It was the kind of message that leaves you challenged and like all at once encouraged, feeling like God loves you unconditionally, but also he wants to make you into this creature that is so much better than the one that you are now. It's a tough act to follow, Bob's sermon last week. But when I left here last Sunday afternoon, I was feeling kind of that, like, oh, I've just had this great locker room pep talk, and I, I had every intention of rising to the occasion and following it with a really inspiring message this week that was kind of along the same lines of, of engendering that divine awe. But you know what they say about the best laid plans. So Monday night this week, I was hit with something in my personal life that completely knocked the wind out of me. I mean, like, lying on the floor, weeping and gasping for breath kind of a thing. Really, really hard stuff. And, and the truth is, 
is that I've been a mess ever since then, like internally, just a wreck. Even though I, I go about the business of performing the tasks that are in front of me because that is what I do, I, I'm really shaky inside, still even now. And so that, that makes it really hard for me to compose a sermon like the one that I wanted to preach, the one that would be worthy of following Bob's. But that's okay. That's okay. Now, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint everyone. In case you were wondering, I'm not going to share the specifics of my particular pain. I'm not going to, you know, it's, it's okay. Don't worry. No one's dying or anything like that. I'm going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Um, it's risky to even lead with something like that because now you might spend the rest of the service trying to, trying to figure out what's wrong with me and not hear anything else I say. And I promise I'm not trying to be like those people. We all have these friends that they, um, they like check in at the hospital and it just says feeling worried. And then they won't answer your messages. They're waiting for everyone to say, what's wrong? What's going on? It's not a, not a, not a bid for sympathy. No, I'm, I'm alluding to my great distress because of what I'm going to talk about. And none of what I'm going to talk about for the rest of our time together is going to make really much sense at all. It's not going to have any credibility unless you really understand it's coming from a place of practice, not of theory. Do you, do you know what I mean when I say that? Like, How many times do we get advice from people who have no idea what it's like to be in our position. They've never been in our shoes, but they have all the suggestions for how we can fix things. I mean, man, if I had a dollar for every bit of advice that I'd gotten from someone who had never been homeless, never even spoken to a homeless person, if I had a dollar for every piece of advice I got from someone like that, I could probably buy a house for everyone in the mission. And how many times... How many, how many churches, how many pulpits this morning all over America are, where are preachers standing there just like feeding people cliches that they want you to swallow but they've never tested? I think that happens. But the good news is you don't have to worry about that happening here today. Because what's happening today is you're getting a little bit of a, a glimpse, a raw glimpse into the actual workings of my real-time relationship with God. And it's coming off a week where there wasn't a lot of room for cliches. So I hope that you'll find something here that will be helpful to you as well. So what in the world, how can I say we're continuing in our series? What in the world does any of that have to do with hospitality? Hang in there with me for a couple minutes and let me just connect the dots. I kind of, in our introduction to hospitality, I kind of alluded to the fact that one of the hardest things about hospitality for me personally is... Keeping a house that I feel like I could invite someone into. Our domestic style at the Allen household 
is something like this. It's slide off the cliff into chaos and go along like that for a while. And then eventually, all at once, we try to muck ourselves out of it. That's our domestic style. So before people come over, which we do have people over, but before that happens, there's a lot that I want to do, typically, to make that feel okay for me. And if someone shows up unannounced at my door, I might panic. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to let you in, but I might be a little freaked out by that. Because I don't want you to see my mess. I don't want you to see it. My dishes piled up over a couple of days. And the dog hair that's, you know, it's August and my dogs are shedding like an entire second dog every day. And it's all piled up in the corner. And I don't want you to see that. I don't want you to see my mess. I'm working on being more vulnerable about this. Like now when people come over, I intentionally don't clean something. Because I also want you to know that you are normal. My logical mind knows that like all of us have these things. But it's a slow process. And so I thought about something earlier this week. It's the middle of the night, Monday night, about 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting at my dining room table. And, you know, it's after the thing has happened. And I'm just beside myself. And I've tried to distract myself by watching an entire season of some stupid sitcom on Netflix. So I won't have to think. And I refreshed Facebook for the millionth time. But you guys don't post enough at 3 o'clock in the morning. So what's up with that? There was nothing left to see on Facebook. I came to the end of the internet, apparently. But I was looking for something in someone else's life that would take my mind off my own. And there in the dark at the table with my tears hot on my face and not knowing how I was going to get up and live the next day, it hit me all of a sudden. Like, how hard is it for me to invite God into my mess? We struggle with that, don't we? Am I the only one? I'm shaky today, remember? So throw me a bone here. Am I the only one that struggles with this? We struggle to invite God into our mess. About 15 years ago, give or take, I'm not good with chronology, but about 15 years ago, I sprained my ankle really badly. I mean, not just like tweaked it, but like really badly sprained it. Um, my in-laws lived at the time in a house that had a concrete porch and it was about chest level to me. Like if I was standing on the ground, it would be about, about here. It was a tall porch and it really, it probably should have had a railing on it, but it was a, a parsonage that was attached to a really small country church and there, there just wasn't enough money in the world to make everything about that house, how it should have been. So Anyway, one day we were over there visiting and it was a big family thing, so there were lots of people and I wasn't paying attention to where my feet were. And I was standing on the edge of this porch and I stepped right off it. And I heard the most God-awful noise I've probably ever heard in my life when my foot hit the ground, this popping noise as it rolled. It was awful. 
And then, you know, seconds later, my brain just exploded with pain. And as I laid there in the grass, clutching my leg, my father-in-law came running out of the house. And my, you know, he, he had been a firefighter, so my logical mind knows Vern is a good guy to have around if first aid is needed, because he's got more than your average person training in that. But my logical mind was not in charge right then. Nope. So when he came toward me, I, I screamed at him, get away, don't touch me, don't touch it. He kept reaching for it. I said, don't touch it. I could not bear the thought of even the most healing of hands on that wound over and over. And I've often thought about that day, and I I do, I liken that to the way that I want to respond to people and to God when I'm in emotional pain as well. If there is a tender spot, I would rather clutch it to myself. I want to keep it hidden. I would rather do that than let anyone tend to it. Even God. Just like I don't want you in my messy house, I don't want you or God in my messy heart, in my messy soul, with my pain and my humiliation and my fear and my weakness all piled up like the dishes, exposed and vulnerable. I want to shove all that stuff in the closet and under the bed. And I want to put on a front that hides the fact, hides it really well, the fact that I am weak. I am human. And I am in need. As though these things are unknown. But I have learned something over the years. I have learned that that clutching and that hiding is not good for me. It's my default, but it's not good for me. I have learned that when hard things happen, the very best thing I can do is run straight to God. Straight to him. And the second best thing I can do is to tell a trusted friend. And I want you to know, just so you don't think that your pastor is going to like show up on the evening news tomorrow. I did both of those things on Tuesday. Because I am convinced that in all matters, the relief of dragging something out into the light robs it of its destructive power. And it allows the access that God needs in order to work. Now, I know this with my logical mind. But sometimes, just as when I sprained my ankle all those years ago, my logical mind is not in charge. And I struggle. I struggle so much. 
with allowing God, inviting God, welcoming God into my moments of pain. And I suspect that I am not the only one. So I ran across something that I think can help us because I find in those moments where I am struggling, the best thing to have is a a tool. It's good to have tools. When my brain is short-circuited, I need someone else's stability and someone else's structure. And so I've asked a couple of the young ladies to help me hand out a handout. So if you guys could start doing that now. This is a practice that's called the welcoming prayer. Now I've shared before that some contemplative spiritual practices have been really helpful for me in the last several years of my life. Um, Just different things from Christian tradition that, you know, sometimes we think in modern day America you have to like spontaneously compose in your mind all of the prayers that you say because we don't want to have vain repetitions or something like that. But there's, there's lots to be said for spiritual disciplines and spiritual structures and spiritual exercises that people have been using as a support for years and years and years. And so this, this falls into that category of like a contemplative practice. The welcoming prayer. Uh, from the Contemplative Outreach website, the definition of welcoming prayer is this. The welcoming prayer is a method of consenting to God's presence and action in our physical and emotional reactions to events and situations in daily life. I'm going to read that one more time. The welcoming prayer is a method of consenting, allowing, inviting, welcoming God's presence and his action in our physical and emotional reactions the reactions that we have to events and situations in daily life. So what I want to say is this, this welcoming prayer, this is one way, one tool that we can practice hospitality toward God. Richard Rohr is a favorite of mine, and so I'm borrowing a lot of his words today. But he says this, welcoming prayer is a simple way of surrendering to God's presence in our daily lives. So what this method can do, this prayer, is it can help us dismantle our unhelpful mental and emotional habits so that we respond rather than react to our circumstances. And Richard says this, to be clear, I am not suggesting that we welcome or accept abuse, trauma, or oppression. The point is not to welcome bad things happening to us. The point is we're welcoming our feelings about a situation so that we can sit with them, if that makes sense. Because then 
we become empowered to take the necessary action, whatever the case may be, more freely, creatively, and lovingly. We're going we're gonna to try this together this morning. You are, of course, as always, anything that we do like this, we do exercises from time to time. You are absolutely free to just observe. There is no pressure but I would encourage you to try to participate, even if it is uncomfortable, because new things are often uncomfortable. And it doesn't mean that there's something wrong. It's just different. But the first thing to do is just sort of get into a comfortable position and, and sort of relax. And I'll just walk us through this. We'll just try it together. And again, some of the words that I'm using are my own words. Some of them are mixed in with, with words from what I've been reading uh, from Father Rohr because he is really good at words. So the first thing I want you to do is to become aware of how your body feels right now like the physical sensations that you're experiencing. If you have tension, if you have pain, maybe sometimes for me I get a knot in my stomach or a tightness in my chest, shoulders, whatever the case may be. Notice how your body feels. I'm going to be silent for just a few moments so that you can connect with that. All right, I would like us to read this prayer together. And if you would like to join me in speaking out loud, you're invited to do so. If that feels uncomfortable, again, you can just there in your mind read along or you can just observe. There's no pressure in this moment, in this situation. But the prayer together... Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me in this moment because I know it is for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for security. I let go of my desire for affection. I let go of my desire for control. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and presence of God in the healing action and grace within. One thing that it's important to say when we're participating in exercises like this is that God is good and he can be trusted. And his word says, if you ask him for bread, will he give you a stone? No, he will give you good gifts. So when we invite 
the presence of God, when we open ourselves to that, we can trust that that is a safe thing. So with the, the thought in mind of that prayer that we've prayed together, holding that, but holding on to it lightly, striving and trying and, and trying to force things is not really helpful in spiritual practices. So holding lightly to, to that prayer that we've just prayed. Think about, identify for yourself a hurt or an offense, a person that has let you down or something that has hurt you in the, in the past, recent, or otherwise. Just identify something that would be one of those tender spots for you. And as you think about that, as you, as you hold that in your mind, notice the feelings that it brings up. Can, do, do you feel the emotions, the sensations in your body of, of what that felt like the first time it happened or, or what is the experience that you're having now? The, the reason that it's important sometimes to identify what's happening in our bodies is because we, we tend to want to live in our intellectual kind of academic mind and, and rationalize and intellectualize things. And sometimes those sensations in our body, they really are clues to what is true under the surface. So when you think about that person or you think about that event, notice, notice how that feels. If we're just sitting with our pain, then we can avoid having to, to categorize and make it this like dualistic thinking of, is this good or is this bad? Is this win or is this lose? Is that person a good person or a bad person? Am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Just feel the feeling so you don't have to create that scenario of either or. Because we're identifying ourselves in this moment with the side of life in which suffering exists, pain exists, hurt is there. So not shying away from feeling how much it hurts to be hurt. How much the fear is when we fear being abandoned. What what is that feeling? And, and don't just shove it aside. Welcome it. I'm going to be silent for just a few more moments so that we have a little bit of space to do that. Some of you probably connect really easily with this kind of exercise and for some of you it's probably very difficult because we're conditioned and we're used to stuffing those things down as deep as we can stuff them into the closets and under the bed. 
That's what our culture tells us. We're not used to welcoming suffering and pain and sitting with it. But the reason that it is important for us to learn, to cultivate, to practice that skill is because it can bring us to God. It can bring us to God. We are like 15 years ago, Marie, rolling in the grass, clutching our wounded selves and saying, don't touch it. Get away from me. And he can't tend to our wounds if we won't let him touch them. So if we are able, and I encourage you to practice this at home, to, you, to incorporate this in, in your own private prayers. If we are able to practice and bring ourselves to a place where we can just acknowledge that sometimes things are hard and they hurt us. We can connect with God. We can learn things about him, things about ourselves, things about the world. Pain and suffering can be a great teacher. Don't like it. Don't like it at all. But more really good words from Richard Rohr. If you can do this. If you're able to bring yourself to this place in your spirit, you will see that it is welcoming the pain and letting go of all of your oppositional energy that actually frees you from the pain. Who would have thought, he says, it is our resistance to things as they are, that causes most of our unhappiness. Our resistance to things as they are that causes most of our unhappiness. Thank you for participating in that with me. I hope that some of you just will think that was weird and you hope we'll never do anything like that again. And that's okay if you feel that way. It really is. Um, but I hope that some of you found it helpful and it'll be something that you can incorporate into your, into your prayer life. You guys hear me say this all the time. We serve a God who longs to be near to us. He wants to be with us. He longs to be invited into our everyday lives. All of it. All of it. Even the mess. Even the stuff we don't want anybody else to see. God wants to be in those places and in those messes with us. He longs to be near to us. That is all he has ever wanted. All he has ever wanted in the history of the world. So I'm going to finish today with a passage from Leviticus. That is not a usual sentence to be spoken here at Vineyard Rala. But Leviticus, because there is beauty, beauty in understanding that God for all of, all of human history has had a singular heart and a singular mind and a singular desire for his people. 
These same words or similar can be found woven throughout the entirety of scripture from the beginning to the end, both in the Old Testament and the New. So here is what God said to the Israelites through Moses. And here is what he says to us today, to you and I. Leviticus 26, verse 9. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. In other words, you will have everything you need to sustain you and then some. The stuff that you stored up and hoarded, you'll have to push it out of the way to make room for the new and beautiful things that God is doing. Here is what God says. I will put my dwelling place among you. And I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt So that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke. And I enabled you to walk with your heads held high. I will put my dwelling place among you. I don't have time today to go into the richness of that word dwell. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I broke the bars of your yoke. God says to us, we can walk with our heads held high. We can walk knowing that our God wants to be close to us. That he doesn't shy away from our mess. He doesn't shy away from our distress. But instead he covers our shame. He covers it and he enters into the mess with us. And he will do that for you this morning. He will do that for me wherever he is invited, wherever he is wanted, wherever he is welcome, wherever he has shown hospitality. So as we do this, as we, as we learn, as we grow, as we explore the biblical concept of hospitality, as we practice hospitality, let us not neglect to include God in our invitations. In all of the big and small and the beautiful and the ugly moments of our lives. Let me pray for us as we go.